Hello, I'm Rabban Bacon, and we are Success Across Boundaries, a group of individuals tapping into the experiences of expats, their success stories, and key learnings for fostering future cross-cultural exchange. This podcast is sponsored by Relosophy, relocation and growth solutions in Germany for active global citizens. You can find them on therelosophy.com. Next up is Lena Robra, who is Head of Academic Engagement at Swissnext in Bangalore. So can you start by telling us a few words about yourself and your current professional engagements? So I'm Lena. I am born and brought up in Germany. So I'm living in Bangalore in India for more than a decade now. I'm a scientist by training. But currently, I discover and co-create science across the Indo-Swiss research landscape in my role as Head of Academic Engagement at Swissnext in India. And how do you see the different phases of your career across different countries? I mean, first of all, what sort of inspired you to move to India in the first place? Oh, what inspired me to move to India was I was actually living in Barcelona when uh, for my master thesis and then i learned that my institute in barcelona had a collaboration with the institute in india to which i went for my phd and i just felt that uh, being in science you anyway end up in the us at some point of time so mm. i thought i keep that for later i was like young no family no strings attached so i was just curious to embark into a different culture knowing that i could come back to europe also anytime i wanted to i intended to stay for a year to then see how i like it and as you can see i'm still here so i like it a lot what have been three to four key learnings from your personal story uh, the first and foremost thing which is also very helpful in india is like don't plan too much because most of the time if you plan things they don't work out the way you plan and so i moved to like rather embracing the opportunities of the moment though i don't mean to like not have a vision or just be like without a plan in life but like have a vision and then embrace the different path or ways to achieve that vision the second key learning is how the importance of being able to listen to other people listening is an art i think and there's a lot to learn and a lot of positive impact if one's able to actually lean back and just absorb what the conversation partner has to say And the third one I think living in a different culture is something that really shaped who I am because it makes you see your own culture or your own upbringing background in in a very different light and it gives you the opportunity to like adapt and learn from people who again come from a very different perspective. And was there any struggle when you first moved to India in terms of getting adjusted to the culture and how did you sort of overcome these struggles? Moving to India was a breeze. I think honestly it's a lot harder for Indians moving to Europe or to the US and I'll tell you why. Like the moment I landed on campus, people were like, "Yeah, we're going for dinner. Come along." "Oh, you don't have money to like you don't have currency yet. Yeah, we buy you a mattress. No problem." So everybody here is so so welcoming. They're curious, they're welcoming, they're friendly and you get a solution for anything you don't have food you get food you don't have transport you get transport so culturally it really has been breeze uh, settling in in india has it ever been tough to sort of balance your professional versus personal life and are there any specific ways to overcome those challenges 
I mean, I think it's constantly tough for me for for one reason. I really love what I'm doing, so I burn for my profession. But I also really love my family, so um, I would like to spend uh, 24 hours with both. But what helps me balancing this or like overcoming this challenge is that I'm in the lucky situation that I have. a very good work relationship with my boss who is very mindful about the importance of balance between work and personal life so he reminds me if i get too imbalanced towards like too much of work and on the other hand um in my personal life i mean my my husband is equally involved in uh, child care he takes care of everything in the house like i do and so that enables me to have this professional life as well And so let's circle it back to your education. Why do you see it sort of relevant to your current professional engagements and also for the future? I mean, I really think that PhD is not a waste even if one is no longer in academia because I feel that a PhD really trains you to be self-organized, to be driven and to shape your analytical thinking skills and your ability to bring like structure into your work life. I feel a phd really teaches you a certain rigor and reliability and that is something that really plays in in my favor now in my current work setting which skills have helped you to navigate both international and local environments i think really having an open mind and embracing situations as they are enjoying the best of all and don't fret too much about things not working out and have there been moments where you felt like things might not have been working out but you found a way to get around them I mean I think it's really those situations where you feel like oh my god another piece of paperwork or oh my god this is like I mean how long can it take to approve this or to do this or that and they would really helps again us like to just lean back take a deep breath put yourself into the other person's perspective and then like see what is actually helping the situation now instead of like just ranting or getting upset is that in most of the cases not helpful. And which skills do you think students and professionals should also be focusing on to navigate future global job scenarios? I mean, I think it's again like embrace the local environment wherever you are and especially for students, I feel it's important to get as many immersive experiences as you can get during your time at university, especially in other cultures. I see that whenever we have like students visiting from Switzerland uh, through various programs here like the first day itself is like a transformative experience and that's an experience that never leaves you and i mean i can speak from my own perspective like during my bachelor's i went for a month to beijing i went for 3 months to india i went for 3 months to a work internship in a different area in, in in germany and i mean it took me 6 months longer to complete my bachelor but i think it has really played out in favor because this early on exposure to different cultural and work environments really allowed me to now fit in easily wherever i am and so how strong is the swiss indian connection are there quite a lot of uh, swiss people in india at the moment i mean there are quite a few so we have i mean quite a few swiss companies for example swissri or bula and there's a very strong scientific connection with switzerland as well like there are a lot of alumni who spend time in eth and epfl and bern and basel and who come back to india and when they come back to india they bring in those experiences and relations so there are a lot of like still research connections that are more than 20 years old for example 
our role is a little bit or like what we are like doing is to make more people acknowledge that Swiss Indo connection because many people in India have like a perception of Switzerland that is more leaning towards mountains, towards chocolates, towards watches, but they forget that Switzerland is actually the most innovative country in the world. And on the other hand, like Switzerland often thinks of India as this country, which is still sort of like a development country and where you basically go with development aid projects. But they don't see that India is actually home to like a number of EdTech unicorns that like the, the metro cities in, in India thrive with like innovation, with digitalization, with technology advances much faster than, than Switzerland. And what could India learn from Switzerland and vice versa? I think Switzerland could learn from India to be a bit more embracing of new technologies. For example, like in India, no one pays with cash anymore. It's like really a thing you don't do anymore. Since two years, I haven't been to an ATM because you do everything like digitally. So I think that is, for example, where Switzerland still sometimes is a bit more careful or conservative, which is, of course, also important because like in the end, it's like your privacy and your data. But I think they could tilt the balance a bit more towards like embracing new new technologies and digitalization. What India, of course, can learn from Switzerland is like technology when it comes to sustainability, like construction materials, clean tech solutions. In these sort of areas, Switzerland is extremely strong and that is an area where India is really suffering and could use technology advances. I also saw on your LinkedIn that you're the co-founder of the Moving Waters Film Festival. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Of course, because this is one of the most rewarding experiences I'd ever had in my life. The Moving Waters Film Festival came about because a few people, including me, felt that there is a need in India to have a film festival which showcases the environment, its beauty and its issues. And that is something which is not easy to see for people. And so we said like, okay, so fine, let's just curate a film festival. We also made sure to invite speakers because we wanted it to be an interactive thing. And they were like, we met a lot of like skepticism, like, oh, but Bangalore is so far from the sea. Will people even come? And who is interested in this? And then we launched the first edition and we literally had no advertisement before because like we all do it like in our free time. And the hall was full at night on Saturday morning. The hall was so full that people could not enter anymore. And so the people who like uh, it was in collaboration with the Goethe Institute and they came in the in the break and they said, like, you don't need to pay us any rent or anything. And you please come back every year until COVID. We had like uh, four editions running. We traveled to different cities to Pondicherry and Chennai. And all of this we've done on a remarkable shoestring budget of like, if I converted, I think 250 francs per festival. I mean, mind you, we have like top-notch international movies that just like, you need to do a lot of work because you like call up every director and every distributor and say like, look, this is an important festival. It's free entry and you're really gonna make a difference. And so our content is like really top-notch. You can see how, how much I've worked with this festival or how, how rewarding it is. If you're there and people go home and say like, look, today I've seen something I couldn't even imagine. It just really like, again, impacts people's life. And that's what drives me in my my work. So it's completely on a volunteer basis. Is it quite hard yes. to find films and get people to, do people submit or do you look, look out for films and then invite them in? No, we actually look out. So usually like we start almost a year before by just like really 
going through other film festival screening schedules by going through the internet i mean searching on google and just looking out like what what is sort of new coming out and then we try and watch the trailer and if we think the trailer qualifies then we reach out to the distributor and ask whether we can have a view copy for us to screen and then we slowly put together the program and we really like try to strike a balance like we don't want it to be only on issues even though you could like do 10 festivals only on issues but we actually have like a water sports section we have a nat nature only section we have like an issue section and then often we also try and get like speakers that are relevant so for example we had the curator of the smithsonian in talking about like the evolution of of, of whales so it's like really like it's like an all out thing like from like classical evolution or biology to like really burning issues like illegal fishing off sea where you have like huge chinese boats like really just take out whatever they can and like really ill treat the humans as well who who are involved in this two like really sporty examples there's a movie called four moms in a boat which is about like four ordinary moms from from the uk who take part in this challenge where you have to like row across the atlantic and no one thinks they can make it but they make it yeah just a lot of inspiring stories also inspiring stories of change like from india how people movement stopped like certain environmental issues with regards to dams and then we had like the first forest officer who was part of that project speaking and yeah so i mean also our speakers they always like come for free because they also see the issue and they yeah like to have this platform so talking a bit about india in general what do you find to be the toughest and easiest parts of living in the country I mean, the easiest part, especially like if one is in the socioeconomic class where I'm fortunate to be in, is the support system. Because like both my husband and I work a full-time job, but why is that possible? Because I have a nanny who is here having my back with the kids. I have someone who cooks for me. I have someone who cleans for me. So essentially, I really only need to take care of my job and my family. That makes life very easy. And the other thing is like really, again, the openness of people like you. You meet someone on the road and you just find a common connection. It's like, yeah, just come in for tea. It's no problem. Or like people just stay for dinner and it's not like uh, how it is sometimes in Europe. It's like, oh, but we don't have enough food or now is our dinner time. Now please leave. It's always like, you please just come and we just order more food or we just make more food if there's no food. And then also like if you go out with people or if you order, it's not like, oh, so I had this pizza and one Coke, so I pay this much. It's like, mm-hmm. just, we're just split the bill and we'll be friends and so that feels really nice that it's a lot less like counting like every cent or like making like oh but I gave you this much now you give me this much it's really like oh you also play board games yeah why don't you join us tonight we're playing with some friends or like also like you're going to a party someone says like yeah I'm going for a party why don't you just come like there's never like oh I need to ask the host whether one more person can come just like you just come So that, those are the easy things. My biggest issue with India is like the lack of public transport because like it's impossible to get anywhere in the city without either your own vehicle or booking an Ola or Uber or to to like I cycle a lot. But you can't just like, you know, especially with children, you can't, there's just no public transport system. And so similarly, cultural things, like many of them are like across the city and you think twice to go for a, concert if you know it takes you one and a half hours to go there with the traffic and one and a half hours to go back for like a 45 minute performance so that's a little bit something i'm missing or like you know pop performances or these sort of things it's funny the other thing we joke about i don't know whether you know danzo or swiggy 
it's service here in, in India where you can like literally get anything to your house. Like if I forgot my jacket as a friend, I can at a friend I can just book a Danzo on through an app and someone will go there, pick it up and drop it at home. If I feel like eating a Twix and I can't step out because I'm working, I can just like order it and Danzo, someone will go so, to a supermarket, buy a Twix and bring it home for me. And so I often hear people when they go back to Europe, they're like, oh my God, I really miss the service where I can just ask someone to do like these tasks for me. So talking a bit about these infrastructure problems, do you think these are things that will improve in the future or is the scale of the challenge just quite high? I mean, the major challenge is corruption and lack of like, I mean, especially Bangalore isn't famous for that because like in Bangalore, you have like I think 18 different municipal agencies and just like give you an example like the the bus stops are built by one department and the bus lines are operated by a different department which means you build bus stops in places where people don't need them because people don't get off and on and the people who like run the buses they like have the bus stop randomly at, at, at like places where people want to get up and uh, want to get on and off um and similarly with the metro, like there's a lot of corruption in terms of like people want to buy build flyovers because they think like, yeah, we just need to like build more road stuff. But like people don't see that, yeah, we need public transport. And that the, the other issue is that like in India, it's still like, I mean, the largest amount of the population, like you have like this aspiring middle class, which is huge. And for them, it's not aspiring to like get into public transport. For them, it's aspiring to have a car. And so unless like the rich people or like the well-off people in India don't take public transport or cycle, people always want to have a car because it's a status symbol. And that's also, it's a really hard one to fight. Yeah. So I have very little hope that we are like building a lot of metros and fingers crossed, let's see how it will play out when they run. And do you have a mantra for success? Uh, a mantra for success. I think it's most important that you do what you love to do, especially when it comes to work, because like, I mean, if you have a regular job, you have like at least eight hours a day that you spend with your job. And I feel it would be so sad or such a waste to spend eight hours every day of your lifetime with something you don't like to do. I mean, I see there are people who don't necessarily have a choice, but for each or every person who has the choice, I really encourage them like, do what you like to do because in most cases it's even like it will be a waste for you and it will be a waste for your employer as well because if you don't like to do what you're doing then you're likely to be an underperforming employee and so you're doing no one a favor neither yourself nor your employer and finally do you have some words for future aspiring youth i think it's pretty similar do what you like to do that was Lena Rober, and this is Success Across Boundaries with me, Revan Bacon. Please tune in next time to see who we will talk to next.